Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 538 with Robin Dreek. Boy, I just love a good podcast interview with a former FBI agent. Boy, we had Joe Navarro. He was great. We had Chris Voss, excellent, talking about body language and negotiating from the perspective of someone who's been in a lot of crisis hostage negotiations. Well, now we got Robin Dreek talking about how to size people up, predict behavior, build trust in relationships. So great stuff. You'll learn one. The overlooked activities that build healthy work relationships. Two, the six fundamental principles of trust. And three, the code of trust that builds relationships. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep538. Now here's Robin's story. Robin Dreek is a best-selling author, professional speaker, trainer, facilitator, and retired FBI special agent and chief of the Counterintelligent Behavioral Analysis Program, CBAP. I don't know. I felt like there must have been an acronym in there. He's the founder of People Formula, an organization that offers advanced rapport, building, training, and consultation. Robert has taken his life's work of recruiting spies and broken down the art of leadership, communication, and relationship into five steps to trust and six signs of who you can trust. Since 2010, Robin has been working with large corporations as well as small companies in every aspect of their business. He graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy and served in the U.S. Marine Corps. Robin lives in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Thanks to Robin for spending some time with us and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. And big thanks to our sponsor, Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. NerdWallet.com, whom I love on these sorts of matters, gives Acorns a whopping 4.7 stars and says, quote, if you want to make the most of your spare change, there's no better place to do that than Acorns. Head to acorns.com slash awesome or download the acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today and we got a legal disclaimer here it may not be representative of all clients tier one compensation provider compensation provides an incentive to positively promote acorns view important disclosures at acorns.com awesome investing involves risk including the loss of principal please consider your objectives risk tolerance and acorns as fees before investing acorns advisors llc acorns is an sec registered investment advisor brokerage services are provided to clients of acorns by acorn securities llc member at finra sipc for more information visit acorns.com now, here's Robin. Robin, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me. And what could be a better podcast than that? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, I like it. It's just clear. Like, okay, I know what we're getting here. Exactly. Well, so you, boy, I'm sure you have a lot of stories. So maybe could you kick us off, get things rolling with an exciting story coming from your time as the chief of counterintelligence behavioral analysis at the FBI. Feel free to omit any classified <laughs> details, but yeah, what could you share with us? I think it's probably easier just to uh, say in broad spectrum what my job actually was. And um, I mean, I could go into different stories, but it's, you know, they're all roughly the same. My job was to recruit spies. All right. And I, I always call it the toughest sales job on the face of the planet because in a nutshell, I'm selling a product and my product was U.S. patriotism. And so that, that these days can be a, a tough challenge as it is anyway. And anyway, my client 
and all my clients were foreign intelligence officers that worked for other countries to get our intelligence on behalf of their countries. And so that's my client. So the first challenge in my life was I'm selling a product of American patriotism to people that generally do not want to buy that product. (laughs) From their perspective, they might call it treason, if you will. Absolutely. It would be. <laughs> See, I always call it just buying a product. <laughs> I like to soften it. And then the, uh, the second challenge is by, uh, you know, so who are these intelligence officers? You know, 99% of the time, intelligence officers are um, foreign diplomats under diplomatic cover at establishments across the country. Most of them are at the embassies in Washington, D.C. or the consulates of the Mission to the United Nations in New York or any of the consulates around the country. So they're diplomats. And so as diplomats, they're actually you know, they have rights and privileges of no one can mess with them, especially by law and treaty. It was illegal for me to initiate contact with them. So first challenge is I'm selling a product that they probably don't want to buy. Second challenge is it's illegal for me to actually approach them and try to sell the product. Yeah. So that was a great challenge. And especially if you have a type A personality, you know, hard charger like myself, where you'd think you have to convince people of things, um, you're going to really fail majestically at this. And so it really comes down to selling the toughest product or really selling any product in the world is it really, it's the simplest thing. All you have to do is figure out the priorities of the other individual of how, of the things that they need, the resources they're looking for. And if I offer resources in terms of those priorities, they're willing to buy it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so that is intriguing and well, boy, there's just so much to go on there. So were there particular angles or offers you made that seemed to work Frequently. So I would say the most common priority, because I always talk in terms of priorities of others, because here's, here's a, a truth of life. Uh, human beings are exceptionally predictable, and they're predictable because all human beings are always going to act in their own best interests, which is safety, security, and prosperity for themselves and their families. My job and the job of anyone is to just to figure out what they see from their perspective as success and prosperity. And then you see if you have resources in terms of that. That's all we do when you're working sales. You're trying to understand the priorities that of someone else and offer them resources, whether it's goods, commodities, or services in terms of those priorities and see if you can come to an agreement. So, so the same thing with you know selling my product. I'd say by and large, the most predominant thing that foreign spies were looking for was safety, security, and prosperity for their children. Mm-hmm. You know, it might've been a dying wish of a, of a father or a grandfather that their grandchildren wouldn't grow up under the regime that they grew up under, that it was not a safe place to live, that it was, you know, biased or, you know, unfair, whatever it was, that was a priority for theirs was that their children would not grow up in that kind of environment. And so that's something that I have resources that I can offer in terms of those things if they wanted to immigrate here or to some other country. And now my priorities were I wanted to understand what their goals, objectives, and the things that they're trying to take from our country. And so that's where you come to an agreement, you know, or not that, hey, you have priorities and resources. I have priorities and resources. Can we have an accommodation? So that's pretty simple. Understood. Okay, very good. Well, now I want to spend most of our time talking about sizing people up. You've done a lot of thinking, writing, research on this topic. And maybe first, I want to, you know, just address, is that even a fair and appropriate thing for a human being to do, just to size someone up? Isn't that like judgy? You're judging them and that should be not done. Or what do you mean by that term and how would you distinguish it? Yeah, it's a catchy term because it catches your eye. But the first thing you find out when you dive into this book or anything else I've written or done is that it has absolutely nothing to do with judging. And part of that is, as human beings, we're also genetically and biologically and socially coded to want to belong to meaningful groups and organizations and to be valued by those same organizations. 
And so I always tell the story about years ago when I was in the Marine Corps, you know, I was a horrible, I am not a natural born leader. I am the natural born narcissist. You know, it's that type A personality. I thought being successful in life was how do I make myself look good and get ahead? Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I was ranked against the other second lieutenants in my first squadron I was in, they, I was ranked last. And as I believe everyone's born with at least one gift, at least at that time in my life, I was at least born with enough humility to say, all right, I'm doing something wrong. And I went to my major and asked him, I said, what am I doing wrong? And he says, you just need to be a better leader. Oh, thanks. <laughs> That's the I said, great. How do I do that? And he goes, well, just make it about everyone else but yourself. Be selfless. And I'm like, and I wasn't doing that? All right. Specifically, how do I do that? And he couldn't tell me because he was a natural born leader. He's just being who he was. And so all these years, I've tried to figure this out. And I have. So how do you make a conversation about everyone else but yourself? How do you demonstrate value and affiliation to others? It's simple. If you build into your language one of these four things and everything you say and everything you write, the entire conversation becomes about them and they're genetically and biologically being rewarded chemically in the brain for it. Oh, intriguing. (laughs) You seek the thoughts and opinions of others because we only seek the thoughts and opinions of others that we value and want to affiliate with. Second, you talk in terms of their priorities, and we've already been talking about the importance of priorities. You talk in terms of their priorities of what's important to them because if you're not talking in terms of their priorities, they're being polite at best. They're not paying attention. Third, you validate them non-judgmentally. And validation just means that you're seeking to understand them at a deeper level and not necessarily agreeing with them, but seeking to understand them without judging them. And fourth, if appropriate, you empower them with choices. Again, you only give people choices if you value them and you want to affiliate with them. So when you build one of those four things into everything you say, write, and do, the other person's brain is chemically rewarded them for engaging with you because you're demonstrating that value and affiliation. So that that's where it all started is, is that very granular look at it. Well, that is helpful. And I love your vantage point where you're coming at it from in terms of, no, really, how do you do that? And so you had to break it down and to arrive at that. So I think that that is really connecting, resonating, making sense in terms of, yes, I do like it when people do that. And uh, when I do those things with others, they respond well. Let's hear about the third one, validating non-judgmentally. What are some of the best ways you go about doing that? So the best ways about doing that is you ask them challenging questions, you know, like not challenges, like challenging, but like what kind of challenges they're having in their lives, discover their priorities, try to get deeper about understanding how they think the way they think, the experiences they've had, the background they have, how they grew up. I mean, if, it, if they're, you know, if they're at liberty to share all these things with you, but seeking to understand how the other person seeks to build affiliations with you and others and how they see the world through their particular optic. It's, it's basically building a curiosity into yourself about others. Because when you build that curiosity in, instead of judging, ask yourself, why? Why do they think the way they think? Why do they believe the things they believe? Why do they perform the way they perform? W- without taking a side on it, just seek to understand it. Because when you have congruence between the words you're saying and the emotion you have, that, that makes it genuine and sincere. So it's building in that curiosity because that's what validation ultimately needs in order for it to be effective. Mm-hmm. Okay, understood. So that's how that's done. And then... I'd love to get your view. So your subtitle of your book, Sizing People Up, is A Veteran FBI Agent's User Manual for Behavior Prediction. So boy, there's so much there associated with behavior prediction. Could you maybe kick us off there by talking about, you know, what's perhaps the most counterintuitive thing about behavior prediction that you've discovered in your years of work? 
when you say, you know, when we look at the title, you know, sizing people up, you know, it's, hey, about to be judgy. No, the whole purpose is so I can reasonably predict what you're going to do in every situation so that I don't get emotionally hijacked and I don't have negative thoughts, feelings, or emotions towards you because I had an expectation that was unreasonable based on what you reasonably going to do. Because again, it's about building trust and building relationships because without relationships, you're not going anywhere. You know, there's not one person in this world achieves anything without at least one other person being part of that team or being that inspiration or coming up with that idea that helps you move forward. So this is all about building healthy relationships. And so from there, you know, I think probably the, not the aha moment in this, but what happened was when I started really focusing on others and trying to build trust by making sure my behavior was aligned with what was good for building trust, I started realizing that, wow, I'm focusing on this other person and I'm starting to be able to predict what they're going to be, what they're going to do because I'm so focused on what their needs, wants, dreams, and aspirations and priorities are. I know that they're always going to take actions in terms of those things, which makes them start to become very predictable in what they do. Mm-hmm. And we've all heard this too. We've all heard the expression, I believe, that what's the definition of crazy? Doing the same thing and expecting different results. Well, when you reverse it, when you see someone else doing the same thing two, three, or four times, you can reasonably expect they're probably going to do it five or six times the same way. Right, yeah. So that's part of this whole equation. Okay, intriguing. Well, so then that adds up in terms of in immersing yourself and understanding their perspectives and needs, wants, priorities, values, you in turn are able to predict kind of where things are going. So then can you, you share with us, how do you come to gain that understanding? What are the kinds of things you're watching for, listening for, asking in order to develop that profile? Sure. So what I came up with these six signs that a lot of human beings, we're all intuitively doing this, but when you can place a label and meaning on it, it actually allows you to do it quicker and more accurately and more cognitively without subjective observation. And so I call that uh, that new car effect, you know, by placing labels on meaning things, you start recognizing it quicker. So the same thing when you buy a new car, all of a sudden, as soon as you buy that car, you start recognizing that same make and model going down the road or in a parking lot without even trying to, because it has a meaning and value to you. And so the first one is the first sign for this. I have six signs for this. The first sign is a sign of vesting. In other words, are they using language and behaviors that demonstrates that they're actually as much vested in your success as they are on their own? Because if they're demonstrating that, well, that's pretty predictable that, all right, I can probably reasonably predict that they're going to continue to do that. The second sign is longevity. Are using language and behaviors that de- that's demonstrating that they actually are seeing the relationship as long-term vice short-term. The third one is reliability. You know, Are they demonstrating both competence and diligence in the task at hand or what they're assigned to do? And, you know, competence is do they have the skills appropriate for what it is they're doing? And diligence, do they have the energy and tenacity to follow through on it. Actions uh, is sign four. And we've already talked about this. Actions, these past patterns of key behaviors, you know, are they, are, have you observed them multiple times doing something in a certain way so you can reasonably predict they're probably can, can continue to do it that way, if not better. Five is language. Are they using language that's demonstrating that they're valuing you as much as yourself? And so this is where we reverse it. I said before, when you include one of those four things in everything you say and do by seeking thoughts and opinions, talking in terms of their priorities, validating them without judging them and giving them choices, are they likewise doing that to you? Are they using that language when talking and discussing with you? And the sixth sign is stability, emotional stability. During times of stress and discontentment or whatever comes along, do they have the ability to maintain emotional stability and thoughtfulness or do they over emotionally react to things? 
Now, each one of these six things, you don't have to have all six to predict behavior. But what you're doing is you're pretty much trying to key in on, because everyone's got strengths and everyone's got things that are working well for them. So you're just kind of keying in. And what you're doing is you're establishing a baseline of what you can reasonably expect in all these areas from people and see what the results are. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, so you're setting that expectation at a reasonable level. Uh, the analogy I love to use is um, and this because this takes the place of that intuitive. I like someone so I can I can trust them because liking mm -hmm. and trust are, uh, and predictability are, are vastly different because just because you like someone doesn't mean you can predict what they're going to do or trust them. I, so the analogy I use is uh, flying. You know, I, I've, I'm a small pilot. You know, I, I do angel flights. I volunteer for that stuff. And I have a great friend. I have a great friend that I trust with my life because he's a great guy. But he's not a pilot. And because I trust him, it's not like I can throw him the keys to the plane and say, all right, I trust you to fly this plane. No, because you don't have competence in that area or reliability. So they'd kill us. So I, I like making this very predictable behavior so you can reasonably manage the expectations of others. So again, you don't set the bar too high so they don't need it. And then you get angry and discontent towards them. Now, it's interesting. When you say predictable, it's sort of like reliability, Mm -hmm. And I guess there's some distinctions here, but I mean, so it's predictable in the sense of I might not be able to predict, you know, the exact sentence out of their right. mouth or the exact choice that they're going to make amongst a sea of options that I'm not even familiar with yet. But they can be predictably, I guess, relied upon if they have these things going on to, you know, follow through and not disappoint or backstab, betray, et cetera. Is that kind of where you're going at? Absolutely. And in certain lanes as well, because, you know, one thing I love to try to do is just because I can't count on you or trust you slash predict you in one area. That's true. Robin. I don't want to don't. hold that against them in another area. I don't allow one thing to ruin a relationship. You know, because I can't trust you to fly a plane doesn't mean I'm going to not like you or distrust you in all these other areas because you have displayed massive trustworthy and predictability in these other areas. So I'll definitely engage you in those lanes. So this is just helping you manage your expectations in specific areas so that, again, the purpose of it is to maintain those good, healthy, strong professional relationships so that everyone can move forward together. Okay, certainly. Well, so those are the indicators that I'm watching out for. And if I have those things, then we're likely to feel good that uh, things are going to be followed through upon, you know, reliably and in a predictable way. So that's great. And so then I'd like to get your take on when we're trying to go about building that trust and rapport and, and relationship with folks, how do we make that happen? We do it the same way. First, we demonstrate it to them. You know, so I have my process called the code of trust, which is my behaviors that I'm trying to do and exude. To, to inspire them to want to align with me as well. So the first step in that is you have to understand what your goals and priorities are. And then, because that, that's, that's what makes this a leadership kind of thing, because I always believe everyone's a leader, because anytime you have a goal and objective you're trying to achieve and you have a, a, a methodology in which to get there, which is about how do I get people to align with me and come along, that's leadership. And so the first one is understand what it is you're trying to achieve. And part two of that is how, how can I inspire someone to want to do that and be part of this? So step two of it is understand the priorities of others so that I'm making sure I understand what those priorities are. So I'm giving labels and meaning to mine. I'm giving labels and meanings to theirs. So we're starting to, their brain automatically starts aligning these things together. Step three is understand their context, how they see the world through their partic particular optic. And when we're understanding context, we're discovering their demographic, 
their orientation, their thoughts, their beliefs, their gender, all these things. We're understanding how they see the world through their point of view. And this is also where we're starting to understand and build affiliations with others because we have commonalities in these different areas. Because again, we're trying to demonstrate value and demonstrate affiliation. And then step four, we want to make sure we're using, that I'm using the language you're looking for. That's the same thing as the language in sign five of um, sizing people up. And that is, am I seeking thoughts and opinions, talking in terms of their priorities, validating them, giving them choices. And finally, I'm putting this all together and, and I'm crafting, how do I demonstrate to them that I see who they are, I see their priorities, and I want to be a resource for them. All right, certainly. Well, that is a lot going on there. Could you perhaps uh, tie it together for us in terms of uh, a whole scenario and story with regard to, is all right, I was trying to pull this off with this person, and here's what I observed and said and how it unfolded. Sure. So right from the book, uh, the uh, I mean, when I was first a newer agent in New York, this is like right after 9-11 in New York City when I was serving there. I had, uh, I had one of my potential confidential human sources, the people that are helping giving us information. He was brand new to me. He had been cooperating with the FBI for about 25 years. He'd had 16 guys like me before me um, come along. And he's, he was really known as a pretty cankerous guy, um, mm-hmm. kind of an alcoholic, and, but he had some great access, some great information. And so he had, he had come, to, come to me and said, hey, I have someone, you know, that might be, that I think is going to be a good use for you and the FBI and, and prevent national security. And because he's associated, he's a relative of, of a foreign leader uh, in the Middle East. And so I had to, it's funny, I had to quickly assess, you know, does this guy, can I trust him? You know, because this is, this is urgent information potentially. And normally it takes time and vetting of information over a period of time on what you do this. But, you know, when you don't have time, I had to really zero in. And luckily, though, you know, I had a, a good mentor and guide. And, uh, his name is Jesse. And, you know, we went through this process, you know, where we're asking ourselves, all right, what kind of language, why is he doing this? And one of the things that he was actually doing was um, he had immediately taken a liking to me just because he liked teaching, mentoring, and guiding others. And so he actually literally started tying and using language of tying, wanting me to be successful because he enjoyed helping the United States. And so the only way he knew he could help be a help and service the United States was if I was successful. So he was actually using language by saying, hey, you know, Robin, you know, if we do this and we can solve this problem, we can, you know, take, you know, hopefully identify some, you know, foreign actors that can, you know, help us, then you're going to be successful because your success is my success. So that was the first thing he did was, you know, demonstrating that, that vesting sign. And the second one that, um, really struck me up right away was the longevity because he was actually talking in terms of not what we're going to accomplish just today or tomorrow. We actually, when you work in the world of counterintelligence, some, some of these operations take years and years and years. I mean, heck, uh, the day I retired after 21 years, there were some operations I had started in the first couple of years of my career that are still going. Mm-hmm. And so he was, he used that language. He talked about things that would go on much longer than just, you know, some you know, when you're hunting bank robbers or something, you solve the crime, you move on. You know, he was talking in terms of how we can come up with lots of things over long periods of time. And the other thing I thought was really good with him was uh, he was emotionally stable. Every time a new situation would pop up, he immediately went into what I call science experiment mode. He immediately came up with, you know, cognitively thinking about, all right, so here's what the situation is. What's the cause and effect if we do this? What's the cause and effect if we do this? I mean, one way he demonstrated that to me is I remember every time, you know, especially in this very scenario, you know, we we're going to introduce me to this, this contact of his that was going to help us on a major problem. 
And we role played it. He was big on role playing things out because he was very cognitively thinking, all right, if we say this, what's going to be reaction? He said this, what's going to be his reaction? So that's where I first started getting exposed to. I mean, we're doing this intuitively because he's teaching and training as we're, you know, I'm teaching and training him. But when I took that step back years later and looked at what, what were we actually doing? Why did I trust him? Because he was demonstrating these signs. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's great. And so then I'd love your view if you think about sort of typical workplaces, maybe they have a little bit less life or death or, you know, nation versus nation impacts. But uh, what are some of the best simple actions you think people can take at work day in, day out that demonstrate these things well? Sure. Um, I can give you some positive negatives on this because I think we've all experienced this in workplace, you know. So if you're looking in the work environment, you know, is your boss what's he, you know, how's he regarding you when he's communicating and he or she's communicating with you? Are they demonstrating that they're vested in your success with the company? You know, are they actually giving you opportunities to learn, to grow, um, to take on new challenges, or are they keeping you shunned away? Are they not engaging you? Are they keeping you out of group meetings? Are they keeping you out of discussions because they're not, you're not part of it. So are they vested in you? That's a great sign whether things Mm -hmm. are going sideways or they're going well. Longevity. Are they using language and their use of behaviors and taking actions that demonstrate, and they see you here for the long haul. Are they putting you in those long-term training or management programs? Are they putting you in for advanced placement things? Are they giving you opportunities to grow and expand because they see you here for the long haul? Their actions, are their actions towards you consistent or are they erratic? Um, and are, again, go back to the language again. Are they engaging you and valuing you by seeking your thoughts and opinions, talking in terms of what's important to you? and validating you without judging you and and, at, and then giving you choices along the way. So those are just a few of them. Um, but it's very easy to see these things in the workplace. And I think we all have. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Okay. Well, so then I'd love to get your view in terms of, you mentioned some of those behaviors that are, you know, not desirable. When folks are actually making an effort to do these kinds of things, do you see any sorts of mistakes or roadblocks that pop enough that make it hard for folks? Hard for folks to... Hard for folks to invest and build these relationships and demonstrate these things for others. I think the underlying thing that undermines all of us in many situations is our own ego, vanity, and sense of superiority. All right. You know, so I have these three core anchors that I believe very firmly in, and to, that will enable us to accomplish anything that we're seeking to do and achieve in life. And that is number one is I'm always asking myself before I open my mouth or send an email off is what I'm about to say or do going to help or hinder that healthy professional relationship. Number two, am I open, honest, and transparent with my communication because I can't have that healthy relationship without that open, honest, and transparency in communication. And my third is I'm an available resource for the success and prosperity of others without expectation reciprocity. And so that's where that ego check comes in place. Am I doing this for self-gain at the cost of other people? or I'm actually doing it to be a resource for others. Because if I do that and I have no expectation of reciprocity, that's because we're suspending our ego, we're suspending our vanity, and we're being a resource for others. Now, when you do this, what's the likelihood of reciprocity? Very high, because we're, gen- we're genetically coded to want to reciprocate things given. But if you do it with the intent of that, then our own priorities start leaking out of our language. Remember, if we're talking in terms of our priorities and they don't overlap with someone else's, they just their mind shuts down. Mm-hmm. Okay. Understood. Well, tell me, Robin, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? No, I think that comes in pretty good. You know, relationships, I, you know, healthy, strong, professional relationships are, are absolutely the key to everything. And this is exactly how you do it. And the purpose of sizing people up, which is really 
predicting people's behavior at the core is how can I make sure that you'll never let me down? Now, here's the great thing. If you fall short of that bar I set because I took all the time to understand what I can reasonably predict you're going to do, then something happened in their lives. Something went sideways. And so now you can be a resource again to discover what priority shifted. And, and again, you're managing your expectations and you're being there for them. Okay. Can you give us an example of that shift? Like a life thing happened, which caused a shift and then you're responding. How might that play out? Uh, I mean, probably the most common ones I've seen is where, you know, you've got colleagues at work and, and you, you, know, you know exactly what to expect they're going to do in every day, every kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden their performance falls off and you're like, that's weird. And instead of getting angry at them, you figure something went wrong or something's going on, whether it's a sick child, a, uh, someone in the family, kids are failing out of school, um, their own health, there's something going on with mm-hmm. their own health that they're not sharing. So it's just understanding that, all right. It's not them. There's an outside influence that is coming in to impact them. And so instead of getting angry at them, you automatically go into the mode of, all right, what's causing this? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's just sort of a beautiful way to live <laughs> in terms of if something if something undesirable is coming forth from a, a colleague to not just assume that uh, they're no good, <laughs> but that there's something up and, and how can you help? It keeps life very calm and very simple. There is no doubt. That's why I love doing this because it, it, my, my frustrations that I had at work and things not going my way or people not doing the things the way I want them doing. When I started really living this and understanding this and practice, and it's all that evaporated. It just went away because you understand, you just understand people and why they do what they do. Well, yeah, I like that how you zeroed in on your frustrations evaporated away. And so, can we get another example, perhaps, of, all right, there's some behavior transpiring. It's frustrating you, how you took a step back and came to understand some things and then had frustrations disappear. Sure. Basically, I was trying to sell my product to someone that didn't want to buy this product. And okay. basically, I wasn't even allowed to go talk to the individual as I couldn't get my boss's bosses to approve us doing this. And so in those situations where you're trying to do something and get something done, but you're being roadblocked by an individual, what people generally do is they start pounding on that individual or pounding on that situation. And that's where all that frustration, anger, and resentment starts building in. And, and I think we've all experienced this. You get, sometimes you get so frustrated that at the last minute you say, screw it, and you let go. I'm done. I'm not doing this. And when you do that, all of a sudden you say the answer in a different area. Oh, wow. It's easy. If I just went over here, here's where the answer is. Here's how I can do it. And where did that come from? It came from another relationship to move you to the area or the thing it is you wanted to do. So the thing I do now is as soon as I feel a roadblock someplace, I always give a little push. I call, you know, if if a door comes up in front of me of the thing I'm trying to do, the thing I'm trying to accomplish, if a roadblock comes up in front of me and a door slams, I give a little push on the door with the, with the way, the direction I'm trying to go. But if that door is closed, the first thing I now do instead of starting to beat my head against the door, I take a step back. I talk to the healthy people in my life, all the other relationships, and I, I say to them, I state to them my priorities. Hey, folks, here's where I'm trying to go. Here's what I'm trying to accomplish. Does anyone else have any ideas about how to get over there? Mm-hmm. And that's where the magic happens because inevitably someone else comes in with a great idea I never thought of in a million years and you're through that door all because I wasn't trying to beat it down by myself in a direction that wasn't meant to be. You take that step back, you maintain good cognitive thought, and you think about the relationships you have, the strong, healthy ones, to how to get through. Mm -hmm. Lovely. Well, now can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? 
Uh, the favorite quote is probably the man in the arena by Theodore Roosevelt, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but I'm going to keep it even simpler than a, a long one. Um, so years and years ago, when I was still in the Marine Corps, um, everyone in life gets these little profound things dripped on them without even realizing it. I worked for this Colonel and he once said to me, he said, you know, captain, never tell me no, only tell me yes, but tell me what, <laughs> but tell me what it'll cost me. And what he, what he was saying was very profound. He goes, I don't want to hear no. I just want to hear yes. But what I want is choices. Tell me the cause and effect, the cost benefit analysis of every choice you're offering me. And so that is a great way I thought of framing how do you communicate with someone? Don't start with the negative. You start with the positive. Yes, we can do this. If we do it this way, it'll cost us this. If we do it this way, it'll cost us this. If we do it this way, it'll cost us this. Which way you want to proceed? And the great thing about that is we only give people choices that we actually like as well also. Mm-hmm. Oh, lovely. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Probably the, um, the study that Harvard University did in the spring of 2012 where a lot of the scientific basis in neurology came were a lot of things I'm talking about. And that is what they did is they wired up people's brains. And what they found is when they wired up their brains and they, they found that people on average share their own thoughts and opinions and talk about themselves roughly 40% of every single day. And when they're sharing their own thoughts and opinions, basically testing the world around them for the accepting for I am not judgmentally, when they're sharing their thoughts and opinions about themselves, dopamine was being released in their brain. Dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, bloodstream. In other words, the pleasure centers in the brain are firing when we're sharing our thoughts and opinions with others because we're testing you accept me. So now if you can take your 40% and give it over to someone else so they can share their thoughts and opinions more, and then you add those four things we talked about, especially validating those thoughts and opinions, their brain is chemically rewarding them for the engagement with you because you are demonstrating to them their value, their affiliation, and it's good for their survival. All right, thank you. And how about a favorite book? I'm a lover of history, and I am, Dave McCullough is my favorite author. And so mm -hmm. I, I love every single book he put out, but the first one that got me hooked on was 1776. You know, I, I've just read excerpts. It was like, oh my gosh, this is thrilling. Like, I kind of know how the story goes, and yet I'm riveted. I should just hunker down and read the whole thing. And then also as a pilot, the last book I read by him, I, I was I loved to death. I'm going to actually read a couple more times, and that's uh, The Wright Brothers. That keeps coming up, actually, on the yeah. show. Yeah. Does it? Good. Yeah, the story of powered aviation. It's riveting. You know, what, what amazing human beings, you know, all the people he writes about, you know, just amazing human beings overcoming odds. Uh -huh. And how about a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? <laughs> all the books around me of all the great people I try to emulate. <laughs> that's, uh -huh. that's, you know, my, my tool is, is my mouth. <laughs> and sometimes it really gets in my way. <laughs> all right. And a favorite habit? Probably going to CrossFit. <laughs> uh -huh. I'm getting older and uh, trying to keep everything healthy. is uh, That's it. And also because it's a very nice social group I hang out with there. Uh-huh. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They repeat and quote it back to you often? Probably it's not how you make people feel about you. It's how you make them feel about themselves. Mm -hmm. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? To my website's probably the, the hub of where to go and start from. And that's uh, www.peopleformula.com. Lots of uh, videos on there of me doing keynote speeches, uh, other you know, great podcasts like yours. Um, and lots of videos on YouTube there and also have a free online course on there. Others will be coming out. I don't worry. I won't try to upsell people too much. Mm. And you can also have links to all my books on there as well. All right. Sure thing. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? 
if you want to start down the path of really making these stronger connections, identify three people personally and three people professionally in your life that is tied to the things it is you're trying to achieve. And with each one of these people, make sure you identify at least one strength in each of them and start identifying top three priorities of each one of these individuals. Because when you start identifying strengths and you seek and understand what their priorities are, your brain's going to naturally start aligning how you can be a resource for them. When you start doing those things, they're going to start noticing, wow, this person is actually here for my success and prosperity. It's going to start changing your life. Awesome. Well, Robin, thank you for taking the time and keep up the great work. You're doing what you're doing. Hey, thanks, Pia. I can't thank you enough as well. Thanks for sharing. I like to share what I found most personally impactful. That's not a consulting word, impactful. <laughs> what I personally found most delightful from each of the guests. And I think those four steps, especially when it comes to empowering people with choices and validating them non-judgmentally, thinking in terms of their priorities, asking for their thoughts and opinion and advice. Those are great behaviors I think that we often forget to do and we could do some more of in terms of building that trust. But what I personally found most sticky for me was his recommendation for the book 1776. I totally downloaded the uh, Audible book and it has been uh, really exciting in a number of ways. For example, did you know that George Washington hired in his small staff, uh, one of his staff members that he brought with him was a personal tailor. And uh, I just thought, huh, that's fascinating. And then a lot of people said one of the reasons why George Washington struck him as such a leader and such a presence was because he looked awesome <laughs> with his clothes with a lot of dirty folks on the field. So maybe we need to have a, a fashion episode. Uh, we did that once, episode 94, Sharon Haver. Not everybody was feeling that one. You know, mixed results. Some people say, hey, I already know how to dress myself. I don't need your podcast for that, Pete. And it's not visual as a medium. Thank you for your candid feedback. Keep it coming. <laughs> I need it. But anyway, we had that episode. And so we've talked about fashion once before. Anyway, who'd have thunk it? George Washington, part of the key to his success was having a tailor and looking awesome. And in another instance, a gigantic cannon, they were transporting them and it just fell through the ice of this uh, river or lake that they were crossing. <laughs> and this cannon, it weighs like over 2,000 pounds. And you might think, hey, you know, we got a lot of cannons that we're transporting. That's a huge one. And it fell through the ice, you know, wah, wah. No, no, they somehow managed to hoist that thing out of the mostly frozen body of water. That does not sound like a fun day or a fun job, but uh, he was sure awesome at it. Anywho, great book recommendation from Robin. Uh, you might enjoy 1776 as well as his trust-building approaches for work relationships. So again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we reference are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F538. If you haven't already, hope you'll push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest, Jacob Morgan. He's got some insights about the future of work and how prepared or not we are for it. So we hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. 
If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.